Welcome to the Hotel Analyst podcast. I do believe this is the last one of the year, 2021. And I have joining me on my left, Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst. My name is Chris Bowne. I'm the editor at Hotel Analyst. And as normal, we're going to be running through three topics that have caught our eye in the last week or so uh, before finishing up with our five-star and no-star awards for the year as a whole. Uh, and we're going to start by um, what seems to be a rapidly unfolding and developing uh, issue, which is the whole kind of uh, panic around the latest variant of uh, COVID-19, the Omicron variant and um, the panic seems to be all in the hands of governments Uh, meanwhile uh, officials in the kind of travel and tourism and global business travel industry are trying to tell them all to calm down and uh, be a bit more rational about this whole thing Uh, it does feel as though the governments are kind of feeling the need to react to be seen to be doing something uh, in the eyes of their people Um, and perhaps reacting less than rationally as they uh, start to try and protect their people or be seen to be protecting their people. We've, uh, we're, we're sitting in the UK where we've recently been told we're no longer welcome in France and now we've been told we're no longer welcome to visit Germany either. Um, bizarre kind of state of affairs. Meanwhile, the uh, good folk in uh, South Africa who first discovered the Omicron variant are telling the rest of the world to calm down. It's really not that serious. It's not that deadly as previous versions. And though it spreads more quickly, it doesn't seem to uh, end up creating such health problems for those who do catch it. So um, there we are. We're just sort of, just as we thought we'd be preparing for a bright new 2022 we are in a round of cancellations and uh, lockdowns across certain parts of Europe again and um, the poor old uh, hospitality sector that thought things were going to be picking up and improving again is once again preparing for a a rather uh, unknown few weeks. Yeah, and it's even worse in as much as this isn't an officially sanctioned lockdown in many places, including the UK yet. Um, um, and, and it's just Project it, Fear. Yeah, exactly. And um, so there, there's there's not yet um, the level of support for hospitality that we have historically seen. I think the government is going to have to shift on that, and I suspect that uh, we will see probably some further restrictions coming in, given the level of media hysteria around the whole thing. I, I, I was looking back at what we were writing about a year ago. Um, <laughs> right. we, we had a headline, Darkest Before Dawn, which was my opinion piece on you know the state of play of COVID. Um, um you know the end of last year and we were quite optimistic and bullish back then because we Mm. thought look we've got the solution here we have vaccines this is going to sort it out well i was i was optimistic because i was just shaking it off i just had covid and it was yes uh, yes you well you just had it then and i've just got it now so yeah uh, yeah, yes it's great so yeah i just tested positive earlier this week so uh um it's not pleasant but um you know no doubt thanks to the vaccines although i did manage to get my booster um when i was actually positive with covid which was a bit of a dumb thing to do but i didn't realize that i did a lateral flow but uh, it then turned out the next day that i had it when i lateral flowed again but who knows um 
anyway it's uh but that, yeah there we go a year ago thinking things would, would pick up in 2021 and, and, yeah and and here we are um still in the same now i i think what we were right about a year ago was that we are going to have a strong economic recovery and we've seen that we've seen a very strong economic recovery but it's been a very patchy um travel and tourism and hospitality recovery thanks to the ongoing uh panicking the on again off again um nature of the restrictions um and the, but really i think if i'm to get my optimistic hat on again i think we're at the end of that because a year ago we were still in a situation where most of the populations of europe um were in favor of of lockdowns or of sanctions of some sort of um, uh, restrictions opinion polls are very much turning against it now so in the uk it's something like two-thirds of people are opposed to a further lockdown um, with regard to this variant now um, of course we should be driven by the science not by opinion polls but the reality is this these are largely political decisions um, what's being increasingly exposed is that how biased some of the scientific evidence that's assembled is um and there's a fascinating um, Twitter conversation over the weekend. I saw uh, Kate Nichols, CEO of UK Hospitality. She retweeted uh, a conversation between Professor Graham Medley, who's one of the advisors of SAGE, the Scientific Advisory Group for Emergencies here in the UK, and Fraser Nelson, the editor of The Spectator, the uh, mm. uh, right-leaning uh, sort of weekly magazine. Uh, that Boris Johnson, interestingly, used to be editor of before he um, became a politician <laughs> um and um what the, the the nub of this conversation is um that the the professor said well actually yeah we're just modeling worst case scenarios and fraser nelson asked him well why are you only modeling worst case scenarios why aren't you modeling opt more optimistic scenarios and he says well more optimistic scenarios that there's no need for any action so we don't bother modeling them <laughs> and he think well, it doesn't you know <laughs> if you're making a decision you kind of would like the bat you know where is the evidence you'd like to see a balance of evidence and it's interesting so um fraser pointed um out uh, fraser nelson pointed out um jp morgan's research um in this area um where they said actually the evidence early evidence though it is from south africa as you've already referenced chris is that this is a milder version than delta um it's causing significantly less death and serious disease it, barely any so far mm. as far as we can see um which is great and jp morgan said factoring this in um bed occupants in hospitals probably a third of the peak we had in january last year or january this year actually so by january this 2022 it you know if the evidence proves solid that it's milder disease we should have a third of the levels of bed occupancy we had a year before so the, the health service can easily cope um without further restrictions but of course this optimistic scenario was not modeled by sage they didn't model it because it didn't require any action so instead we've got these models where 
which um, they're very careful to say they're not forecasts, but they're the things that the government puts up and the, the you know, the chief scientific advisor puts up and the chief medical officer puts up at the, the press conferences, warning us all to be careful and not go out. Um, you know, be very cautious about who you go and meet with. Um, all of these things which restrict business in our sector, um, they're based on these overly um, I would argue pessimistic um, models, um, and with which aren't counterbalanced by the, sort of the equivalent, you know, potentially optimistic ones. And what they're saying is six thousand deaths a day in the UK. Well, uh, that does not look very likely, actually. Um, and we've got a, uh, uh, you know, uh, I don't think you've got to be an anti-vaxxer or to have a belief that we're you know that the lizard overlords are running our country to think that uh, that there is something wrong with how we're currently being governed i think there are profound challenges um with the current approach and we really need do need a different way of looking at this where we've got a much more balanced assessment of risk that's out there we need to take into account the damage that's done by restrictions the damage that's done by being high, all this hyperbole around um, you know how many people are going to die etc and we need to be a little bit more um uh, should we say balanced to use that word yet again mm. um in terms of how we how we approach this process and 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 it's uh, i think because now we've seen this switch in 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 public opinion i'm hopeful um maybe i'm just too much of a glass half full person <laughs> but uh, I, i'm i'm hopeful that we're now going to see government shifting because there is clearly political pain ahead for governments that continue pushing this restriction policy mm. on us and i think we're seeing that already across europe um with governments who are pursuing this getting punished at the polls um you know there's there's um, riots in some countries there's protests we had a big protest this weekend down in london um about this um not very much news coverage i have to say of that it was a very big protest as well as tens of thousands of people there um, um but we and, and this skew that's there within um the news coverage of it and the news media i mean I, i'm genuinely surprised at all of these press conferences that all that is asked is why aren't you introducing more restrictions I've not heard one question where they ask, um, what, do we really need this mm. level of restriction? Mm. Um, but we're beginning to see some cracks on this. We've, we've seen it, you know, within parts of the Conservative Party. It's not the sort of um, the right wing um, bit only of the Conservative Party. Certainly that is the dominant strain. But there's quite moderate Conservatives now are pushing back against further restrictions, against vaccine passports. We've seen the Liberal Democrats come out against vaccine passports. There are, there are clear signs that there's a bit of pushback against this now. And so, you know, I'm hopeful that, and if Omicron does indeed prove to be this milder version of it, I mean, there's a balance here because it's looking more infectious and it's looking more able to bypass vaccines, but it's looking less likely to cause serious disease and death. And it's how those different variables, the extent to which they all play out, um, which is going to determine the, um, you know, the 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 
the problems caused for the health service. But right now, and certainly as you say, Chris, if we look at the data coming out of South Africa, it's looking pretty good, actually. And if that does look that way, we're going to be in for a very good um, start to next year as this is just put back um, and said, look, we didn't need this. We can get back to normal life now. Um, Hopefully we'll be able to do that quite quickly in January. and we'll start enjoying this super strong recovery which we've been forecasting i'm hopeful um and i you know it's good to end the year on a hopeful note despite you know the the dreadful period we've we've been through for the last 18 months plus nearly two years Mm. now we know there's plenty of money looking for a home lots of investors with cash to spend and it's it's forcing those in the market to be a little bit more uh, inventive in terms of looking for opportunities because as everyone uh, pushes the price up by by bidding one against another then the returns are diminishing now the latest to kind of take a little bit of an alternative look and, and run a little left field is uh, the private equity investor brookfield they've invested around 350 million euros in a french uh, hospitality group called experimental now experimental has been a bit of a slow burn they started in 2000 2007 with a cocktail bar in Paris and so they are uh, food and beverage and hotels are kind of an interesting mix they've got cocktail bars they've got wine bars and they've got hotels and sometimes those are all mixed up in one property um, but not always um, anyway the, uh, the 350 million euros should go a long way towards helping experimental expand uh, they're looking to go from well they've got six uh, European hotels at the moment to uh, get themselves up to about more than 20 by 2024. Um, So this is a business that's very much driven by beverage and food and, and accommodation in that kind of order. Um, So uh, I suppose a little bit similar, a little bit different from Ennismore, some of the Ennismore concepts, um, you know, um, uh, but uh, clearly there's, there's lots of money to be made in high end drinks. And I, I crunched some numbers. If you want to add uh, breakfast to your <laughs> your your reservation at the uh, at the London Hotel of Experimental, it's forty two pounds. That's a punchy number, isn't it? it is for breakfast. breakfast. Is that, I mean, is is what sort of breakfast is it? Is it champagne? I don't know if that includes a cocktail or two. Or... I'm not sure. That's <laughs> um, that's uh, quite a punchy yeah, it one, is, isn't, isn't it? it? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I was quite taken in your story, Chris. You wrote um, by um, you, you talked to CBRE and their comments on um, Accor and about how innovative Accor has mm. been. And you mentioned Ennismore there, mm. um, and I think that's absolutely right. And um, I guess this you'd call it the hybridization of, of, of hospitality mm. in terms of you know you breaking out of the silos it's an th- ongoing theme we've had here at hotel analyst for for several years now um, yeah where's the extra value the where's, where's the extra value going to be is it you know yeah, some of yeah. these other businesses that are allied to hotels but aren't just purely talking about just renting rooms out every night yeah and and, and it, you know sort of made me think well why is Accor not being rewarded for its innovation Mm. and i took a look at its share price and um, since the start of uh, 2020 well in fact i took the share price at the very end of um the very end of uh, 2019 um and and since that point um until now so it's just about two years um the Accor share price is down 37 percent now that if you contrast that hilton over that same period it's down it's up 
25%. Um, Marriott's uh, down less than 2%. Um, IHG, which has had a bit of a kicking um, since uh, Omicron, but even that's um, only down 14%. So why is Accor suffering so much relative to its peers? Mm. I, I don't entirely get that. I mean, there are some things it, it, I mean, it still has yet to deliver on its uh, you know it, it's yet to become fully asset light but it, it's put those things in train it's clearly going to move forward on the the asset light progress that's clearly there um there's also some skepticism i mean yes these innovations we talked about with ns more look very promising but it's also made a bit of a pig's ear of some of his innovations particularly on the on the technology side um one fine stay is an example which has didn't go well it's foray there Accor marketplace didn't do very well um this has all created a bit of caution i think among investors about how brilliant um Accor is on on the innovation piece um the other thing i think where Accor isn't helping itself um it does just seem to do things that scare the horses i mean it had do you remember when it, it, it there was all this speculation about it bidding for a stake in air france mm. which <laughs> sent its share price going down yeah. but the latest news is it's bought this um dancing club in in on the champs oh, yes, yes. this topless yeah. dancing club lolido <laughs> why is a modern hotel company for goodness sake buying a topless dancing club it's just mad yeah there's, um, there's left and field and there's the next the farm to its yeah. share. <laughs> yeah. yes it's, it's, it, it's yeah, i'm sure it's de minimis to the share price but it just doesn't send a very big you know great signal um ceo sebastian bazan's made great noises about diversity and inclusion but i'd love to be in those meetings <laughs> where the acquisition of lolido comes up you know it's a really weird one um i mean it's a great company at core um and i think it does deserve credit for some of the great things it's doing i think you know it's leadership it's got in the lifestyle space what it's doing with ennismore is fantastic um but it's these sort of showy distractions um it, it, it's head gets turned by the diamante asset aspects of our <laughs> industry sometimes i fear um and this is what's causing a little bit of uh, wobble among investors so um maybe if it settles down a bit um over the over the next year it will, it will have the re-rating it deserves now let's talk about some another allied sector of buildings with beds that's not so far away in its style from uh, hotels and that's uh, student accommodation um the year seems to have been a rather rather good one actually for those involved with uh, purpose-built student accommodation as, a, as an asset class um, and topped out by uh, approval in the UK from regulators for uh, the £969 million uh, deal which sees GCP student living purchased by two private equity investors and uh, the pair of them are going to then split the uh, portfolio and rebrand under their own brands but there's there's plenty more coming over the hill as uh, roundhill capital has just signed a, a big deal with uh, the canadian pension investment board uh they're looking to put a, a more than a billion into student accommodation across europe uh, and there's also more lenders lining up to uh, help encourage other investors to get into the sector so all of this seems to be off the back of what looks to be a kind of a return to business as usual for universities we had months of hand-wringing about whether students would ever want to get back to campus as previously whether there'd be blended learning or actually all online learning in the future 
Uh, it seems to seems to us that uh, much of that has now been kind of swept aside, and things have gone back to the old normal uh, as much as they can can do. Um, but uh, there are still issues to do with where your students are going to be coming from in the future. There's certainly issues short term to do with, uh, for example, Asian students coming to the UK or to Europe because of travel restrictions. Um, in the UK market, there's questions over whether Brexit is going to long term lead to a kind of general diminution of mainland European students coming into into the UK market. Um, but uh, all this seems to be rather swept aside by those in the uh, student accommodation market. They seem to think that uh, things are picking up nicely. and. Uh, even if we're just more and more restricted to it's Brits only learning at British universities uh, there seem to be the belief that there's just going to be more and more and more of, of these uh, youngsters at 18 turning to uh, to further education of course the irony is that we are sitting here at the moment with a massive staffing issues around the hospitality sector at large um, some of that perhaps would be a bit easier if um, they weren't all off to university and they were perhaps going to train as waiters uh -huh. or um, in kitchens. Yes, yes. I, I took a look at uh, um, Savills um, just published their uh, annual report on PBSA um, called European Student Housing Forever Young. Um, <laughs> it came out a week or two ago. Um, and uh, the thing that caught my eye in within that report was they said student numbers um, during the the last academic year were up 2.4 percent um, and given that the year before the the pre-pandemic academic year before um, they were down 1.2 percent so it's quite extraordinary that during the pad pandemic they grew um, Savills explained this um, three reasons they said um, greater leniency over entry standards um, we've certainly seen that in the UK where A-level results uh, went up an extraordinary something like 20 odd percent better <laughs> results than the year before mm. weren't they um, so that that meant people got into better universities than they could have hoped for um, under normal circumstances so they certainly jumped to the chance of getting to them um, tighter labour markets making being a student relatively more attractive suggested uh, um, Savills and finally um, you know who wants to go on a sabbatical when you can't travel <laughs> anywhere um, so that, that that those three things but they all those three things which have driven further uptake in in student accommodation are we all hope going into reverse mm. in the years ahead so um that does i think cause a slight pause on this go-go story we have in the student accommodation market and i think there is some pressure um to reduce overall student numbers now I, th I think one of the things PBSA has purpose-built student accommodation has um, is that it has like you know you could the parallel would be say branded hotels um, and and you know there's a parallel in the unbranded sector of student accommodation houses of multiple occupation they are being squeezed and people are being pushed out of those HMOs into PBSA so PPSA will probably still be in net growth. But if your overall market is at, at best tight, which I suggest it will be, or at worst it could see some some meaningful levels of decline, um, that will make for a tougher marketplace. Uh, nonetheless, right now, it's it's been a great time to be in student accommodation. Uh, 
Prime yields have been coming down. Savills reckon they were down 27 bips over the last 12 months, now averaging 4.1%. Um, this still leaves them higher than other what what Savills describe as living asset classes. So still stronger than than hotels, certainly um, uh, leased hotels anyway. Um, and stronger than uh, multifamily sort of flats etc um so apartments so still still you know an attractive asset class from that point of view and savills is predicting that we're going to see a lot more sales over the coming year as a as a result of that i suspect though we're also going to be seeing a lot more innovation in this sector and what we were talking about earlier in terms of the overlap between the the verticals in our different uh, accommodation segments we're going to see a lot more of that in student accommodation as there's a bit of pressure comes on um and owners are going to be forced and operators to sweat their assets a little bit more look to let them out during the holiday periods a little bit more crossover with uh, short-term accommodation either um, hotel-like stuff or um, maybe also in in terms of um, this sort of co-living factor the sort of next step after being a student um, so we're going to see a bit more of that I suspect um, as well and that that that, that innovation is going to be forced as um, is being sort of naturally organic I think as well because of the the market changes now let's turn to our five star no star awards for 2021 and andrew i think you're giving five stars to the resilience of the industry absolutely i mean you know you cannot have a, i mean it's just you couldn't make it up could no. you what we've been through for, for nearly two years it's just incredible and just how tough it's been the uncertainty that's out there people don't knowing whether they've got jobs people losing their businesses going bankrupt you know the trauma in our sector uh, has been uh, you know overwhelming um so it's a truly horrific time and unfortunately i think we've still got you know a few months more of this to come um but i hope we're finally going to see the back of that but yeah absolutely five stars for just how resilient the sector has been how adaptable it's been and i think how you know it just shows the sector is going to be able to seize the opportunity of of future growth as, as we get back to that growth and the flip side of that is no stars for Oh well, inevitably, I keep I keep trying to avoid <laughs> beating up governments. I, I really do. Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm not a natural um, anti-government. You know, um, my days of being on picket lines or what have you, uh, you know, barricades and things like this, and student I let left behind when I was a student. So I, I, I. I, I, I I, and, I, and I think governments have had difficult tightropes to warp, walk, um, but I, I, I think they're, they're, they're getting to the point now where actually enough's enough. Um, you know, sense the change in the mood music that's going on here. Find a backbone um, and recognise actually now there's political capital in resisting these siren calls to impose more restrictions actually you're not going to be in the dock for killing 
hundreds of thousands of people which is you know where we thought we were going to be at the onset of this um, pandemic you know when John when the UK government for example wasn't quick enough to impose restrictions there's all this kind of put them in the docks you know we, we need to I mean uh, I think those sort of calls are being shown to be the silliness that they were at the time and they're exposed with that and some of the the, the real lockdown fanatics are are being shown to be actually doing real damage to their communities if we look at hong kong the problems that are being caused there we've just seen british airways have stopped flying there now because of the madness of 21 day quarantines for their pilots and air crew it's just just bonkers um you know um, places like new zealand you know still shut down it's just just bonkers and i think we're we're coming to a more realistic view of how we've got to live with what is clearly an endemic disease um um but yeah and unfortunately it's no stars for just how long it's taken for this to really get going and you know i'm i've just got my fingers crossed that we that we will see this now come through from governments but i mean look what the germans have just done it's just Absolutely. just crazy it's just you know the, the denmark has nearly as you know as omicron is as prevalent in in denmark as it is in the uk they they can't shut the you know denmark sits on the german border for goodness sake um it's it, it, it has a direct border with germany for goodness sake it, it's 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 mad i mean it's truly mad what's going on with this um and you've, you it, it's already there it's already in these countries it doesn't stop it i mean credit to the uk government it has removed those those african countries that's stuck on the red list um it recognizes that doesn't make any difference now omicron's here so we just got to get on with it um and we still have mad travel restrictions in place unfortunately don't get um, me started but yeah. uh <laughs> yes no you're going through that with your yeah. your trip ahead is that your first overseas trip chris since no. the pandemic oh, no. is it or no that, but it's, it's to, <laughs> you've done oh no well, you've done a few ski trips, trips yeah, haven't yeah, you yeah, and stuff yes no this is a this yeah, is the first one we're getting a bucket full of PCR tests and yes, yes, and forms to fill in. Never mind. Yeah. Oh, never mind. On that, on that uh, salutary note, we we wish you well for 2022. Well, we are. Yeah, let's wish everybody a happy new year and a much more prosperous new year than the horrors we've been through over the last two years. So it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, here's to 2022. I think it's going to be a bumper year for travel and hospitality. Yes, hoping so. We'll say goodbye for now. <laughs>